Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Psalm 42.5. This is the shortened version of this passage of Scripture. We'll look at it a little bit more in a few minutes, but here's the Scripture. Hope in God. Can you say it with me? Hope in God. I think we can all memorize that today. Hope in God. It'll be the easiest scripture memory you have besides Jesus wept. So you've got hope in God. Psalm 42, 5. When we want to place our confidence in someone, there is no surer foundation than placing our confidence and our hope and our trust, our, our assurance in what God offers. Because again, he knows the plans that he has for us, plans to give us hope in a future. So as we talk about future hope, which is the focus of our, of our time together today. How do we find hope for our future? Sometimes it's easy to go and look at the past and say, you know, if I had it to do over again, I might do this differently. Or to look at today and say, well, you know, these things and these signs or these, um, these things are helping me to find hope today. But really, when we think about our future, sometimes we're a little less confident right? So just some everyday uses of this word. So like, for instance, if you're traveling and you know that you have to make a connecting flight, you have two hours to make the connecting flight, but your flight, your first flight is an hour and a half delayed. How many of you know you're just hoping to make your connection? You know, it's hope with this mix of a little bit of uncertainty. Hope refers to a desired future outcome, something that I'm wanting to happen, that I think is possible to happen, maybe a desire that I'm holding. And most of us use this in this everyday sense to say, well, I hope this happens in my family. I hope this works out. Super Bowl Sunday, I hope the Seahawks are win the Super Bowl next year. It's hope plus a mix of uncertainty because we just don't know all these things. But God knows our future perfectly, and he says, I have plans for it. So because of that, in the Bible, the word hope is a much weightier word than we use in just our everyday sense. Words for hope carry meaning in the Bible such as expectation, trust, confidence, literally to anticipate and to welcome. I can welcome the circumstances of my life. I can welcome what the Lord has for me because I know with confidence that he's working everything for my good. I know that he's promised to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. So when I look at this, I'm anticipating and welcoming the realities of today because I know God has planned for me a hope and a future. John Piper defines biblical hope this way. He says that hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. That is a great working definition. We relate to time in three ways, past, present, and future. You learn about this in English class. You learned about the tenses of verbs. I ate yesterday. I am eating now. I plan to eat in the future. I can have reasonable expectation and confidence. If I want to live, I will be eating in the future. So I can say that with reasonable hope and confidence. But the same is true when we look at this in a biblical sense. If, if, if confidence and hope is placed in a future, what about my past? What about the present? What about these areas? And this is where we look at this image of a tree, a tree with a root system. We plant trees today in hopes and anticipation that we will enjoy them in the future, we attend to the roots. We make the, the soil conditions. Judy McCauley, who's reforesting and has a team, is working on reforesting North City Park, doing great work there. 
Judy is planting trees today because she knows that in the future, her kids, her grandkids, and those long beyond are going to be able to enjoy. That's why we plant. We attend to the soil, make sure it's good, and we allow it to go. Even in winter, when it seems like absolutely nothing is happening in trees that are established, all of the energy of the plant is going straight to the root system. It's that important because that root system is going to sustain whatever grows and produces beyond that season. So when we think about this, what is our confidence rooted in? What is our confidence rooted in? Our confidence is rooted in three things. Deep conviction, a commitment of the will, as well as the character. We root our confidence in the character of the person or persons, person that we are rooting our hope in. So when we look at this, we have this this. Uh, confident expectation for something good in the future because we are rooting ourselves in God. Hope in God. Hebrews 11.1, look at the scripture. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Now take a close look at this because this is important. Faith is the confidence, present tense, I can be confident today in my circumstances, in my everyday realities, because of faith. Faith is confidence in what we, what's the word? Hope for, future. And the assurance, some translations say evidence, it's that rock solid in what I cannot see. So another way of saying that, faith is both confidence and assurance in in what we are hoping for and what I can't see yet. What I know will be, but may not be quite yet. That's what faith is. John Piper continues and says that faith is this broader concept that encompasses all three, both past, present, and future. We see this in Hebrews 11.1 when it says, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at the world's command. That is past. But by faith, I can understand that. By faith, I can look at all the heroes of the faith that are, that are talked about throughout Hebrews 11.1, 1, our faith heroes. And by faith, not because I lived their lives or saw them in action, but by faith, I know the story. I know how God was faithful. I saw the outcome of their faith, past, present, and future. And he says, you might put it this way, faith is our confidence in the word of God. And whenever that word has reference to the future, you can call our confidence in it hope. Hope is faith in the future tense. Isn't that good? Not only that, but biblical hope, he continues, not only desires something good for the future, it expects it will happen. And it not only expects it will happen, it is confident that it will happen. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. Amen. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will become. Now, what about this word moral certainty? I thought this was a really interesting way of putting this. Moral certainty in a court of law means that I can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I can prove beyond a reasonable doubt based on evidence with or without absolute certainty. Moral certainty just says beyond a reasonable doubt based on what I know, based on evidence, I can say beyond a reasonable doubt this should happen or this did happen versus absolute certainty that said, I know it. You can have a reasonable doubt 
and still express hope and still have moral certainty. And that moral certainty as it relates to biblical hope, which is future-oriented, has implications right now for the way I think, act, and feel. So when we think about the struggles or the loneliness or the relational issues, the life circumstances we're dealing with today, things that take direct aim at our hope, because our hope for the future is rooted today in the, in the worthy, worthy nature of God, the character, his uprightness, his understanding, his, his ways that are unsearchable, but his goodness for each of us. Because it's rooted securely in God, I can act today in a way that defies reality that defies my realities, that, that is not necessarily based on things I can explain or justify, but it's still rock solid. That is hope because my confidence is rooted in deep conviction, a commitment of my will, and the character of the person I'm placing my hope in. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance or evidence of the things that I do not see. So if you are praying for a turnaround today, if you're praying for a breakthrough, if you're praying for an answer, Hope in God. Can you say that with me? Hope in God. Hope in God. So let's take a look at one of the lives of one of the faith heroes that's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Abraham. Abraham. Romans 4, 16 through 17 shows us how we forge our future today. <laughs> we are forging our future today and we look at this very clearly in the life of Abraham. Romans 4, 16 and 17 says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, past, present, future, so that, by, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. That's you and me. If we have the faith of Abraham, then we belong to this promise. He is the father of us all, and that is, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, and listen to this, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Now these verses are written at the end of the story. When we are reflecting back on the outcome of Abraham's faith and hope, but we, as we know, his journey had a lot of twists and turns. He didn't always get it right, just like we don't. And, uh, but God's faithfulness still persisted in what, so that we can put him in this, in this category of one of our heroes of the faith because he trusted God. Abraham's story, a short version of that for those that may be, may be newer to his story, here it is encapsulated. It's about a 25-year journey for Abraham from the time God promises to give him descendants and the time when he would actually see the fulfillment of that promise. It's a quarter of a century. That's, that's a while. That's, that's a while. That's a long time to hold on to something. But remember how we act, think, believe, and feel today is a direct reflection of our hope root system. And we see this in this time between promise and fulfillment in Abraham's life. We see it very clearly. When his hope was rooted in God, things went well. When his hope was rooted in something else or others, things did not go well for Abraham. That's the way it was. So who was Abraham? In Genesis 12, we meet Abram, whose name meant exalted father, who is married to Sarai, who is a barren wife. Exalted father, barren wife. His name means exalted father. And he calls Sarai my princess. My princess. That's what that term of endearment is. Sarai meant 
my princess. It's like saying my love, you know, and we'll go, to, go home to Canada. Everyone's my love. Everybody is, is that, it's that term of endearment. He was, she was precious to Abraham. Precious to Abraham. He was 75 years old when God talks to him about his descendants and makes a promise about Abraham's future. No children, but a promise. And rather than leaving it in God's hands and trusting in his timing, Abraham does what we do, and he begins to try to work things out on his own. He says, maybe my Eliezer, my servant. Maybe Hagar, Sarai's servant. Maybe they're a part of this, and we can work this out so that God's plan, surely that must be God's plan. It was not God's plan, and he made a mess because there was still more work to do in Abraham. And then in Genesis 15, God comes back to Abram and says, I promise your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. As much as you can see, that's what I'm promising you and your descendants. Will you believe it? Do you believe it? But there's still more work to do in Abraham. And so there, co- there we come to Genesis 17 when at age 99, 24 years after God begins to first speak to him, and a lot of testing and refining later, God comes back to Abram and then makes a more specific promise. He tells him when, he tells him who, and he also tells him a name. Very clearly, he not, just said, he not only says, you're going to have descendants. Yes, I can believe that in a generic sense, so let's see how we can make this work. But now he specifically says, you're going to have a son by next spring, and you're going to call him Isaac, which means laughter because both Abram and Sarah laughed about it. It didn't seem possible at age 99 that anything like this could even happen, 24 years after the initial promise. But Genesis 6, 17, 5 through 6 says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made, think about that, God's promise, for I know the plans that I have. I have made you a father of many nations, the God who gives life to dead and calls into being things that are not. This is the God who has made Abram. Abraham, a father of many nations, I will make you fruitful, will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Genesis 17, 15 and 16, 10 verses later, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, my princess. Why? Because her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, the father of nations, the mother of nations. And he said, not only will she be your princess, but kings are going to come from her. She will be a princess that not only is your pride and joy, your royal princess, but she is going to be the mother of kings and princes. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. But here's what I want you to see because this is such a beautiful thing. When we are in the midst of waiting on God, hoping in God, and things don't line up with the way things look in our everyday life, I want you to see something really special right here. By God coming in and speaking change to their names, he's also reflecting a change in their identity with one letter. I'm going to show you a picture of this letter. This is the Hebrew letter He. It's the Hebrew letter He. Now, it doesn't transliterate in the same way because we look at that and say, well, Sarah's name changed from an I to an H. That makes sense. But Abraham, there's a few more letters in English, right? So we kind of lose this. But there's one Hebrew letter change in their name that changes everything. This letter is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Five, the number five to those in the Hebrew culture represented grace. It represents redemption, God's action 
toward a person. It represents an opening or a return, a possibility for return. So not only was that letter changed in their name, but it was showing them, I see what you've been doing. I see that you have surrendered to the work that I've been doing in your life. I see that you're trusting me. I see that you've returned even when you've gotten it wrong. I see and I am providing this opening. The Talmud says that this letter H represents repentance or an opening. And if you notice even the shape of the letter, it looks like a doorway, doesn't it? looks like the doorpost, but you also notice on the side there's like a little opening there to the left. And they believe that there is always a possibility for return. Sin or our choices may block the door. But with God, there is always an opportunity for return, for repentance, for a second chance. And that's what we see happening. A chance for return is grace. That's why we can hope in God because he always provides this way of escape. He always provides an opportunity for return. It reminds me of the, of the scripture in Hosea 2, 14 and 15, where he's calling, uh, there, there's a prophecy where he's speaking to people that are really going through some hard times. And he says, I'm going to allure her into the desert, into this wilderness. And it's in that place of desert and wilderness that I'm going to speak to tenderly to her. And there I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, which was a reference to something that had happened in their past that was a really hard part of their history. You can go back and research that. They said, I'm going to take this valley of Achor, this trouble, suffering, gloomy, depressive, muddy, dejected state that you're in, and I'm going to create a door of hope. Isn't that beautiful? I will create a door of hope. And with one stroke of the pen, Abram, exalted father, humiliated and probably ashamed every time he had to hear his name, becomes the father of many nations. And Sarai, who was barren, becomes Sarah, the princess of people, a mother of nations. Kings will come from her. More than a name change, something significant was going on in Abraham and Sarah in their waiting, which reminds me of the iceberg analogy that so many of us are familiar with. I just want to give you this picture because you can look at the circumstances from that top little area and see, you know, there's some surface chop Maybe the conditions, you know, fair day, cloudy day, rainy day, all of that is subject to change. But what you see is the 10% above the surface. What you can't see is the 90% of that volume that's estimated to be below the surface. That you can't see, you just see the tip of the iceberg. And in so many ways, this is the same thing in our lives. The choices that we make on an everyday basis, the priorities of our life, reflect maybe the 10% that other people can see or that maybe is evident even to you or to ourselves. But what God is doing below the surface is of infinite more value to the overall process of what's going on in our lives. Beyond our circumstances, beyond the disappointments, is God at work in the deepest places of our identity? Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope is a confident expectation in God. So when we're in long periods of waiting, just hoping for those promises to be fulfilled and it looks like nothing is happening, remember God is at work. Faith and hope below the surface will produce evidence above the surface. Faith and hope below the surface will produce evidence above the surface. 
And Abraham, and we have confidence that based on that conviction, based on a deep commitment of our will to act like we believe, that God can turn our future into something good, as well as our confidence in the character of the person that we're attaching our hope to. And 25 years later, in Genesis 21, at age 100, Abraham and Sarah have a son in the spring of that year, and they named him Isaac. Hope in God. It may take a while for you to see the fulfillment of what God has promised, but what is he asking? What has he promised you? How do we find hope for today? I want you to see, as we, as we conclude, three things. Your future is not just something you look forward to. It is actually happening right now. If we believe that God's work in those deep areas, in those root systems of our life, underneath the surface, actually has weight and importance for what we can see above the surface, we're going to pay attention to our roots, aren't we? Some practical encouragements. Some practical encouragements. Tend your tree. It starts with the roots. It starts with the roots. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. Remember, even in winter, tremendous amounts of energy are going into the root system. Even though it may not look like anything is happening, it may look like a season has passed you by, dormancy is not the same thing as death. Death is not the same thing as dormancy. Dormancy, that time when it just seems like, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting. There will be a promise of spring. There is life going on below that, below that surface. So the question we ask today is not, is, is what kind of person am I? Really at my core, in my root system, what kind of person am I? Are you a healthy leader, healthy parent, healthy spouse? Are you a healthy boss? Are you a healthy leader? Whatever your roles are in life, are you healthy at the core? Are you healthy at the core? And how do you know? What is the evidence of that? What do you see happening above the surface that gives indicators that what's below the surface is making a difference? And how do you develop and maintain a healthy heart? Psalm 139 says, God who searches the heart and knows us intimately. God knows the root system. God knows exactly what's happening below the surface of our lives. And he knows us intimately. I think this is so beautiful. We celebrated baptism today. And I, it reminded me as I was studying this week, and I didn't even think until this morning, oh yeah, I'm talking about that and we're having a baptism. You saw a physical representation of this happen. When Jesus was coming up out of those waters of baptism and in this moment that we see in Scripture, there's a time when God speaks, the Holy Spirit ascends like, descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, whom I love, and in whom I am well pleased. Now, at that point, Jesus had not even begun a public ministry. There was nothing at age 30 that people could say, what a great leader. Look at all of his disciples. And no, he was hidden. He was hidden in this place for 30 years. And then in that moment of baptism, God speaks and says two things. I'm well pleased. What was he well pleased about? Whatever had been going on below the surface in those times when he was maybe away from other people's sight, maybe not publicly known, but God said, I approve. 
I am well pleased in what I see happening below the surface. But he also speaks something else to him that is such a tender and beautiful word. He says, this is the son I love. Literally, beloved. You are beloved. Your past, present, and future are known by God, and you are loved. You are loved. There's nothing else that anybody else can add to that. You are loved by God. No matter what you've done, no matter how your circumstances or what life looks like for you today, no matter the future that you anticipate, you are beloved. I think of that, Kyleen, today, you're going down into those waters of baptism, and he says, you're beloved. Your past, your present, and your future, you're beloved. That's what he speaks to each of us. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. If we are struggling, we need to take a look at that root system because maybe there's an identity issue. Maybe I don't, I'm not secure in God's love for me. Maybe, I, maybe I'm unclear. Maybe I have made some choices and decisions that I would think would forfeit God's love for me. But remember, he always provides that door of hope, that door of hope for your future. And he takes control of that. There's a strong connection between temptation and mistrust, both for Abraham and for us. And we call that word compromise. That distance between temptation to shortcut the promises of God, to try to do something in our own way, and our trust in God. Compromise. When we uh, started working in our yard, as you know, we had to clear lots and lots of bamboo. Bamboo is not hard to grow. Bamboo is just not hard to grow. I don't like bamboo because we've had to remove tons and tons just to, get, just to make a way. It's invasive. It takes over. It, it, you don't have to have a problem growing bamboo in your yard here. But here's the thing. Bamboo like that is, is very different than planting an oak tree or some other kind of tree that's going to develop root systems and grow slowly over time. That process looks a little bit different, but don't you know there is a difference between an acorn and a bamboo? And sometimes we shortcut God's work in our lives because we said, I'd rather have bamboo now because I'd rather have something than nothing. You know, and even at this time of year, you know, when there's such a focus on relationships and there's such a focus on, on, on love and all of that, and sometimes we're, we're tempted to shortcut and say, in my, in my loneliness, I'd rather have some bamboo than plant an oak tree for the future, Right? Or with our kids, you know, when you're saying, God, I'm, I'm trying to plant godly seeds right now, but maybe if I just take a shortcut here, and instead of contending for our families and, and believing for a future harvest, not only for them, but for their, their descendants and their generations and the generations I'll never see, sometimes we shortcut that and say, well, I can give in a little bit here because I just don't want the war at home. Well, there's so many applications on the job. In, it, you name the place. All of us come from different contexts. But here's the question. Are you settling for bamboo today or are you going to plant an oak tree for tomorrow? Do I trust that God's work in us can produce something that will far outlast and be better, provide more shade, more covering, more for us in the long term than that? If our identity is not firmly rooted in God and in his love, then you're going to have turmoil and conflict, internal, external. It's going to happen. You're going to be at war. Are you changing your identity to achieve a desired outcome? Are you taking a shortcut in order to secure your place in a promotion or your financial future? Where are those cracks in your root system showing up above the surface? If you develop the root system and your identity is in the love of God, the reward for you is a harvest of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
that is the reward of those who faithfully stay with the Lord and, and continue with him. And I just want to also say this too. If you're in one of those seasons where you're waiting and you're having to trust and it feels like God is not answering, we stand with you as a faith community. You are not alone. You are not alone. That's why we pray together at the end. That's why we write our needs on the prayer walls at the end of the service. And, we, and it goes through a prayer team throughout the week. And our staff prays over these. Because we want to stand with you and support you while you wait. The waiting can feel long, but you are not alone. We're with you. Tend your root. Tend your roots. Tend that tree. Start with the roots. Second, wait and hope. Growth takes time. Bamboo is easy. Oak, tree, oak trees are going to take a little bit longer. It takes time, but God is not slow about keeping his promises. God knows what he's doing in your life. Nikki Gumbel, who, who founded Alpha, is a pastor over in England, says this. Abraham waited for 25 years. Joseph waited 13 years. Moses waited 25 years. Jesus waited 30 years. If God makes you wait, you're in good company. Isn't that good? If God makes you wait, you're in good company. You're in good company. Wait for God. It's hard to be patient and to trust. But don't take matters into your own hands. Leave them in the hands of God. Waiting is not wasting time. Waiting is not wasting. It is productive time because God works below the surface. Romans 8, 24, 25 says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope that I can see right now is just my present reality. Hope that is seen today in my present circumstances is not hope because hope is future expectation, a confidence that God will work. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Romans 8 continues to encourage, to encourage with these words. And we know, do you hear that confidence? We know, we know, we have the assurance, the evidence. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29, the verse that we started with today was so precious because he was speaking to a people who were in exile, who were waiting for something good to happen. And here's how it begins. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, in other words, I'm not changing anything right now, even though you're praying for it right now, and things don't appear to be moving, it's going to be 70 years. It's going to take some time. But when those years are completed... I will come. I will come. And I'm going to fulfill my good purpose to bring you back to this place. Hope for the future, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What do you do when you're waiting? You seek God with all of your heart. What do you do when you're waiting? You seek God with all of your heart. What do you do? You seek God with all of your heart, and you wait and you trust I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back. In the Message Bible, it reads like this. I know what I'm doing. God says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Hope in God. Tend your root system. Wait and hope. And quiet, settle your soul. The greater context of Psalm 42, actually Psalm 42 and 43 in the Hebrew Bible is one psalm. I encourage you to open your Bibles this week and go back and read Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42, the greater context of it is words like this, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
My tears have been my food day and night. Does this sound like somebody whose circumstances are going great? I don't think so. Yeah, it even says people all day long, they're just taunting him saying, where is your God? Where is your God? Is he showing up? I don't see anything happening. Where is your God? Where is your God? People taunting him all day long. In chapter 43, it says, vindicate me, plead my case, rescue me. This is a guy who's experiencing trouble. This is a psalm that's a true reflection of a heart that's not at rest because the circumstances are going well. But he speaks to his soul, not to those that are outside of him, but to himself. And he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? And then he speaks to his soul and he says, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, future. It's not today but I know that, that the breakthrough is coming. I know that the answer is on the way. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why do we speak to our souls? Because there are times in our life that don't make sense, that defy the logic, and that's where faith and hope come in. That is what faith and hope looks like. Only God can see all the way to the, to the bottom of this. So he says, hope in God. Hope. And that word, yahal, is very similar to the word kavah that we talked about. Hope is that rope that binds us together. But this word says, not only is it something that will bind me together, but it's really speaking in a future sense that says, as I am waiting, this is how you're going to find me. Patient, expectant, confident, as I am waiting, hope in God. This is how you're going to find me. Return to rest, my soul. And he tells his soul to get quiet, quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. Be still, my soul. Why so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. I need to be reminded because I'm going to keep waiting, keep trusting, for I will yet praise him. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are beloved. For I am convinced, rock solid, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hope in God. Would you stand? Let's fix our eyes on him. I don't have a specific set of questions for you to reflect on today. I think... You already know the circumstance because the Holy Spirit has already said, okay, this is the place where you're beginning to lose hope. This is the place of your life where maybe you're beginning to shift your identity because you think you want this outcome and this is the way to get it. Maybe you've been trying in a relationship or with your kids and it doesn't seem like anything's happening there. Hope in God. Hope in God. Would you just take a moment to just quietly Ask the Lord, Lord, where is that area where my faith and confidence today is being shaken? My faith for my future, my hope for my future is being shaken right now and I'm at a testing point. Maybe that's in an area where he's given you that door of opportunity, the way of escape, but you keep circling back around and shutting it with your sin and your choices. Remember, God is a God of grace who always provides a, a means of return. Hope in God. Jesus, I pray that you would make very clear to each of us today, Lord, the, the areas of our life where we are tempted to compromise, to grow that bamboo because it's easy. I just want something today. 
but I may be shortcutting the promise, the good thing that you have for me for my future. Lord, I pray that you would just renew our confidence. Lord, renew our hope today that you hear us, you answer, you see us, you know everything about us. There's nothing we've done in our past that disqualifies us from your grace. But Lord, we thank you that we can lean in and we can press in in a fresh fresh way, God, because we know that you are for us and you're working all things for our good. Lord, help us to be patient and to wait. Lord, just surrender ourselves to your loving care to hear your love spoken over each of us, Lord, and let it change, let it change us from the inside out, Lord, so that what is seen above the surface reflects what you're doing in our lives. What's seen is evidence that we have placed our trust and our confidence in you, God. And let's respond today and talk to Jesus about this. You know, I was thinking about the rope analogy you know, that Pastor Stephanie mentioned today. And just that word about that warning against compromise, not to compromise something for later. Perhaps right now the Lord, he's building that rope in your life where you have, you have hope for the future, but you're wondering why isn't it happening now? The word that I would give to you is the Lord, he's building that rope in your life. Because here's where compromise comes in is that the Lord's doing this work and he's bringing you to a place that when you get there, he's going to have that rope ready where you can just throw that rope out and you can just take that hill, take that mountain, take that cliff, whatever the analogy is. Don't compromise the moment right now. The Lord will do his work in you and it takes as long as it's take. But right now and today, that future hope, I love that word that they said, if you can see it, that's not hope. (laughs) Who prays for what they already have? The Lord is doing a work in you, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, where we are. Don't shortchange the rope. You need that rope. (laughs) Your family needs that rope. We all need that rope. Wait on the Lord. Waiting is not wasting. Isn't that a good word? Waiting is not wasting. Don't compromise this moment. And, you know, as we linger, just because we do benediction, we're never done. We gather, we grow, and we go. Take that time. Allow the Lord to weave that rope. He knows what he's doing. He's going to prepare you. He's going to prepare you. Amen. So, Lord, I pray that word. And even now, whatever that is in your life that you're saying, Lord, I need patient, that patiently waiting for that rope you're building. Just give that to the Lord even now. Lord, we give it to you, whatever it may be, a relationship, a work, whatever that fear is. A lot of times it's fear. Abraham, he was worried about the baby's not coming, so I'm going to take it into my own hands. Lord, we, we dare not take it into our own hands. We mess it up. We wait in you, allowing you to weave that rope so that when we get there, we don't want to wander in the wilderness anymore. Do your work. Help us to patiently wait. Bring people in our life that can pray over us, that can walk with us. Bring us to people that we can speak into life into them and say, don't give up. Don't compromise. The Lord is working. And we commit it to you, and we give it to you in your name, in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. We're going to get the benediction. Just want to encourage you. You know, um, we didn't talk about giving today, but giving is an act of worship. And so if you're giving today, can you just take a moment just to give thanks? That's what the tithe is. The tithe is I'm giving you that first part because my hope is placed in you, that you're my provider tomorrow and all the days. So, so Lord, we thank you for the ways you provide it the ways you've, you feed us, the ways you've nourished us, the ways you provide. 
So all of our giving today, Lord, tithes and offerings to missionaries, that future hope of the seeds they're planting, both here at home as well as abroad. Lord, we give to you as an act of worship. Now, Lord, may we walk as men and women confident in you, not shortchanging, not compromised. That's the way of the enemy. We're not going to compromise. We're never going to grow weary in the well-doing you've called us to. Our hope is in you. We give you thanks in your name. And everyone said together, amen. Again, if the Lord's going to work in your life, share with somebody. If you need prayer, pray with somebody. But this is our benediction. Let's, let's say this today. Can you say it together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus, covered by his peace. Amen. I love you all so very much. God bless.